What I'm going to do now is go into a little mix and we're going to be chatting to the legendary Mr. Johnny D. The Essential House. So I'm pretty sure that most of the listeners out there have gone to been out clubbing over the years. And most of you will have heard some of Johnny D's tracks that he's in odd. But one of the biggest ones that he ever in odd was a track by Everything But The Girl and it's called Miss Him. I'm sure to say most of you know that track. We're going to be chatting to Johnny a little bit later on about how that track came about. But just to show you how influential this guy is, Everything But The Girl he's worked with, The Bucket Heads, he's also worked with... Donna Lewis, Jordan Hill, Bonnie Tyler, Tori Amos, The Gypsy Kings, Full Intention, Randy Crawford, The Braxtons, Mark Morrisons, The Pet Shop Boys, Aaliyah, Robin S, RuPaul, Jody Watley, Dimitri from Paris, BB Winans, Donna Lewis, Kid Rock, Shaboom, Sunshine Anderson, of course, I had that excellent track, heard it all before. Um, he was behind one of the tracks that won the massive house anthems as well, Kings of Tomorrow and Finally. Brandy, Jewel, the list is absolutely endless. And we're going to be chatting to him right now. So he's one of the most influential AR guys in the world. He's worked for some of the massive labels, and we asked him how his job came about. Um. I was working at um, a promotion company in um, in the early 90s called uh, Street Information Network, Thin, and um, at that time I was promoting a lot of records and I was, you know, I was very close to a lot of people that were making a lot of noise at that point, like Little Louie and Kenny and a lot of people like that. I was in the studio and I felt that the house music scene was kind of hitting a wall and I... Um, I was kind of I was losing interest a lot in like the American house record for some reason. It was like I was looking more for the imports, and I just felt that there was um just kind of a lack of creativity. I, there was just something that I, I wasn't. I'm a very big record collector, and I found myself not really caring a lot about the stuff that was happening at that point. So I kind of had this philosophy. I've always been a disco head, and I said, you know, if I could take a record in the groove that's 20 years old and like make it hot I'd get you know 20 more years out of it and kind of just you know have like have these records pay somewhat of a tribute you know to older records and older time but just just you know making more fun records and just you know putting them together the right way so I um I was very close with um Tommy Musto who had North Cop Productions at that time and he and I had left South Factory Bar on a Wednesday night, and we were talking about it for like the whole time, how I just wanted to, you know, maybe start my own label. And he said, you know, I have the pricing and distribution, so if you want to come in and just, you know, do your thing, everything's kind of running already. And um, he gave me the opportunity to, you know, to like start reaching out to my people and putting records that I felt, you know, was, was kind of... Um, you know, a, a drought in the house music scene. It was just, um, I mean, daily people call it Silk the House or Disco House, but whatever it is, it's kind of just a vision that I felt was just needed in the marketplace at that time. So um, it was pretty much, and I reached out to Kenny, and I figured, um, you know, of course, you know, if you could have like a name that, you know, a big name like that, it would, you know, have much more of an impact than if I just come out with some, you know, no name kind of a thing. So Kenny did me, you know, a tremendous favor. I was close to them at that point. And he gave me the first release. And, you know, then pretty much from there, I just reached out to a lot of, you know, people I was dealing with on the promotion side and everything else. And I had a lot of friends who were making records and kind of just went from there. So what actually, if somebody sends you a track, what makes, what 
is there any elements that you look for in a particular track that you think this will be big or we can take this what actually influences you to sign the track um, I, I think that you know as an A&R project but, you know, then from there I went to Atlantic Records and I, I you know we did A&R there for over 15 years and I think you know as from an A&R standpoint I kind of know within 30 seconds if I'm feeling something whether it's you know good, bad or whatever it's going to be and I I'm kind of quick and also being like a big record collector and like a like I'm like a musical encyclopedia. I kind of I know fast what grabs me, so I kind of look at um you know it, it's when I was going through the A and R process for Henry Street, it was a little bit different because initially I wanted to, I wanted the label to have its own sound and its own identity. So you know a lot of this stuff was very disco-y and you know kind of I, I wasn't into somebody playing keyboards on top of you know a sample that to me I never really understood if you take the record that's you know has like a classic sound with orchestration and everything and you have somebody with you know some Casio keyboard hitting notes that always kind of turned me off and that was kind of what was going on at the point when I started the label but you know things just grabbed me you know I look at it like um, when I buy it when I play it you know who's gonna play this and I would kind of analyze in my head looking at the you know, global, you know, looking at the world musically for DJs and stuff, you know, where is this going to work? I was very, I was very tuned into what was happening in London and Italy and stuff like that. So I was, I think that was another thing that kind of separated Henry Street from a lot of the other labels. I was looking at the world. I was very, you know, I knew exactly what was coming out from overseas and stuff like that. So I wanted to have, I wanted to make sure my records were played all over the world. I wasn't concerned about New York and you know just the states. And a lot of labels at that point were kind of going that way. And I always looked at the bigger picture. So I think that was kind of um, um, kind of the, the little edge that I had. I think that made it stand out because I mean I remember going to you know London my first. I think I had the second release, which was Think a Patient, and I did a couple of radio shows, and I did Ministry of Sound, and, and it was, you know, very well received, and the label was brand new. I only had two releases at that point, but I was kind of in that zone, so, I mean, I, I think that answers the question kind of, but it's just, it's, it's really more of a feel thing, um, but above and beyond the feel aspect, I do kind of run a scan in my brain about, you know, who's going to play it, and, you know, can this work overseas, and which markets is it going to be, you know, in just the black club, can I get the gay club? I really kind of, you know, you try to accommodate as many people as you can. And, but the most important thing is if I felt it and I loved it, and I can honestly say, looking at my catalog 20, you know, 19 years later, I really love, you know, almost everything on here. I mean, with the exception of a couple of records I did, you know, other than that, I really... I'm really happy to say that these records stand the test of time because, you know, 19 years later, a lot of records, and I'm sure you know from your record collection, you can go through records even from the last five years and say, I'm really never going to play these records. So I kind you know, I think a lot of people who collected Henry Street records and, you know, a lot of emails and different, you know, correspondence I get, it's from people who feel kind of like what I set out to do, that they just... Um, they feel they can still play these records and they stand up just as good as the stuff that's coming out right now. So it's kind of, and it's also coming full circle. Like the mid nineties house is very hot right now. So you mentioned you've had hundreds of tracks over, obviously the massive career of the label. How do you actually whittle it down to put the tracks on uh, like the, the latest CD, the Muggsy story that's coming out? Um, how do you, have you, how have you managed to whittle it down to 10 tracks? 
Um, well, the Muggsy story, which was, you know, just to give you a quick, you know, um, little brief, you know, update on that. The Muggsy story, Muggsy was a label that, you know, a lot of the people that, you know, a lot of producers that were sending records for Henry Street were very disco-y and, you know, kind of filtery house. When Then I started getting some stuff that was a little bit harder and a little bit more like rock-based sample stuff. So that's when I decided to come out with Muggsy. Although there was some disco-y things on there, Muggsy was just kind of like a separate label just for you know I, I just feel like there, there comes a point with a label where if you want to do some different things it might be easy to have a different imprint and you know I, I did have success with records like Walk For Me by Robbie Tronco which was more of like a gay tribal anthem than anything that would be playing like in the, you know, in the regular deep house clubs so um, Muggsy was basically you know a different platform for me to put out some crazier stuff and just different kind of stuff so the Muggsy story I basically put the hottest stuff I felt or just the most in demand for the moment from that when it comes to putting out the Henry Street stuff it's a little bit more difficult because um, a couple of years ago I put out a thing called Henry Street Grooves and ironically like that's probably some of my favorite stuff on the label and it was the lesser known you know just records that really weren't massive as far as like sales and licensing and stuff like that but just records that I loved. Um, there will be a 20th anniversary coming out through BBE next year and you know it's going to, you know, I obviously I'm going to try to put, you know, as much, the biggest records will definitely be on there. And then I'll just go through and, you know, kind of pick my favorites or what I think the market is in demand for. Because I'm also like, a, like I said before, a collector and I'm very on top of what people care about and what sells and, you know, I can see my stuff sell on eBay or on Discogs and, um, you just kind of like pick up things all over the place or so from emails from different people coming to my Facebook page or to my website and asking about a certain thing you know if it's going to be remastered so I kind of put a lot of these things in the equation but I mean for the most part you know when somebody picks up a Henry Street CD you know they're going to see Kenny they're going to see Sneak they're going to see Todd and you know some John mixed up so they'll, they'll get what they're expecting but I, I do love when people go deep into the label so I mean one of the beauties of the digital age and I'm not a tremendous you know fan of the digital age because I'm a physical guy but one of the the fact that somebody can go to TrackSource and Deport or iTunes and when they get to a Henry Street page they can basically click on hundreds of tracks and you know the, a lot of these new fans that just you know, new DJs that come out they never heard of any of us so for them you know Kenny to, I mean they, they don't know so they're just listening to the music so hopefully if they come in because they just heard about DJ Sneak and then they can find out about John Nick or 95 North that's really what my my intention hope and goal is at the end of the day so that's the importance of having a strong catalog so that's what i'm hoping you know happens on a daily basis so i mean this being you've mentioned a lot of producers that you've worked with over the years is there anybody in particular for a particular style that stands out for instance if you work with kenny dope how he puts the tracks together is it a completely different to say a dj sneak or todd terry etc um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very, I can honestly say Henry Street is like a family. I'm very, very close with, you know, basically everybody on the label. And, um, you know, I worked in the studio with, you know, most of these guys. And, you know, I can honestly say that, you know, Kenny Dope was, you know, he can just 
perform miracles. And, you know, when he was doing these records for me early on, he was in like his old apartment in Brooklyn. And, you know, he's just, he was just like a magician because he wasn't just a producer. He could also engineer his own stuff. And he just, you know, I think that he and I, you know, and a lot of guys having like loving hip hop and then kind of incorporating a hip hop flow into house. And then you add disco to the element. It makes it a lot more interesting than for a guy who's basically just a house guy, because it, it, there's just there's a different level of excitement in the track, you know, in my opinion, when someone is very well-rounded musically. And Kenny, you know, is just you know he's a genius in so many areas musically. Armand's another guy. You know, I go over Armand's house, you know, in the '90s and. You know, this is a guy who Pro Tools was kind of new back then, and, you know, he was a whiz. He was just, you know, I, I did, we did a thing called, you know, John Nick Magic, and I had all these different producers from all over the world give me things, and I had Armand edit them. I don't think he missed one edit. It was just like, you know, every edit he did was exactly on the one. Um, you know, very, very talented. Another guy who's like into 80s pop and knows a lot about the culture and very, you know, also a hip-hop guy. So how can you see the genre and the music style going over the next few months or over the next few years? Um, where do I see it going? Yeah, which direction do you see it going back to the deep house, which seems to be the trend back to the old style, or do you think it's going to go a little bit tougher, a little bit more harder? Or Yeah, I mean, I, in my opinion, I definitely, I think I see it going... Um, coming back to like the 90s house, the more like, you know, disco-y and soulful, I definitely, you know, from the last couple of places I've been going out, I've been noticing this major resurgence in like, you know, soulful, like black house music and just, you know, different genres where years ago, you know, you used to have the same people that were going to these gigs. And I see a lot more younger people, a much more diverse crowd getting into you know, what we really built in the 90s. I definitely see that coming back full. Absolutely. So can you see yourself dusting your headphones off and going back out and playing again? Yeah, I've actually, I've been doing, lately I've been doing some 7-inch gigs and that's been getting over real well. You know, I have my stuff all digitally and I have Serato and stuff like that, but I've been, um, I've been DJing over 33 years and I, years ago, was DJing, like, whenever I wanted to go somewhere, I would just kind of put something together and just shoot out. So now I'm trying to really get that back off the ground again. I know that the market is tough, and I've been dealing with a lot of different, you know, people who represent DJs. But for what I play, I mean, I've always played, like, disco and house and soul stuff. It's always been how I played. And some there are some guys now who are doing that, but that's always been my thing it's all about music so if I could turn people on to something and just you know keep things moving that way that's what I do so I'm, I'm hoping that my gig situation you know comes back around and I can really start doing that on more of a full time basis because it's just I think now that there are a lot of people who have access to a lot of music but they really don't know it and I think that's when it comes through at a gig you know somebody can say it's Serato here's a drive with 100,000 songs but the reality is if they don't know them, it's like them not even having the records. So when someone like myself goes out who really, you know, is has the knowledge and stuff, I just think it's, it's a different kind of a night. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, that'll, you know, start to, you know, have a big move in the next year or two. Oh, brilliant. Um, also, I mean, one of the biggest tracks, one of the biggest tracks that people will know you from was the Everything But The Girl Missing track. What made you get Todd Terry involved with that? 
Um, I was I was very good friends with oh, very good friends with Todd from the eighties, and I was actually working at Sin, which is the promotion company I told you about before. And a friend of mine called me up and said, "Listen, you know, I have this group, and, and I had known I had known about everything but the girl." And he goes, "You know, it's a pop record. It's not a big budget." And I heard the song, and I instantly thought of Todd because the thing about Todd is, you know, he's another guy that you know he could just perform miracle, and when he's at his best, when he's doing raw stuff. You know, and the equipment, it was just, he just had that magic. And Todd is one of those guys who's very, and he's always been very, very into the pop culture. So even though he'd make these incredible house records and he was also another guy into hip hop, he was very aware of a good pop song and stuff like that. So I just knew that it was a, it was more, I think, the element of surprise and shock when people see, you know, at that point, because he was doing these tremendous big sample tracks. I said for him to take a you know a pop record and then just um, just add his thing. And he's also smart enough to know not to overproduce. And if, I think one of the beauties of everything with the girl was it was minimal, but he did exactly what it needed to get it the street presence and the underground, which then obviously you know in turn turned into the pop success. And I called him up. I said, listen. This is a much smaller budget than you've, you're getting right now, but you got to do this record for your career. Like I knew that something was going to happen. Obviously, I didn't think it was going to be as massive. But I knew that it was going to do. It would be good for him, good for the group all around. And you know that was just um, that was just a really great thing. And then you know, then what happened was. I was still at Sin. I just was going over to Atlantic, and the record was kind of dead. It came out, got a you know, it was a little reaction. I serviced that record five times as a promotion person. I just kept sending it out and kept working it and different club guys. And I mean, the record was promoted. It was probably one of the longest promoted records. I mean, that I definitely that I've been involved with. I mean, it was just probably over a year at the end of the day. We I just kept sending it out and re-editing and putting a different label. So um, I knew that the you know the payoff was there with that, and the label was kind of in a weird spot. So I was kind of fighting an uphill battle because I think the the label the group was just being dropped. So there was a lot of weirdness going on. It was kind of like why is Johnny D in the corner spending money and repressing this record for the third, fourth, and fifth time when we don't even think the group's going to be on the label anymore. So there was a lot of weirdness, but there was such massive overseas, you know, success going on that it was kind of undeniable. Oh, brilliant. So what do you do when you've got a bit of downtime, a bit of relaxing time? What Do you tend to go out to spend time with the family or do you tend to sit in the house um, listening to new records, etc.? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I have a wife and two kids, and I, you know, I spend time with them. And um, yeah, I mean, musically, I mean, I'm always there's always something going on musically. I'm always I'm still collecting and buying stuff, and um, you know, I, I'm always just doing. I keep my stuff in order, so that's very time consuming. I have like over eighty thousand records and like everything in perfect order, which is a little nutty. So I kind of um, there's always work to be done that way. Plus, I had moved two storage facilities back into my house, so I mean. There's never really free time, even if it's a couple of hours, just to go through boxes and stuff and sort things out. There's just always something to do. I bet the wife loves all those storage and all those records. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought I had it bad. Um, so finally, what's next for Henry Street? What What's next for the label? Um, so um, basically, you know, I, I you know the Muggsy story's out, and um, the next year, 2014, will be. 
the 20th anniversary for the label. So I have different compilations and some re-edits and remixes going to be coming next year. I have new music from Salvatore Vitrano, who's, you know, part of Dom House Gangster, DJ Sneak World. And I, there are different people. You know, I, I get music sent to me in demos and stuff. And I, I never wanted to put records out and songs out just to make a quota or just to build up the catalog. Like, I really want to put records out that kind of matter to me and I feel that you know I'm gonna you know still care about and will still be relevant years down the line so I'm a little bit more strict now when I think right now people are just putting everything out I mean yeah. I think it's funny in the digital world it's so much easier you could just say oh, great send me 10 tracks I'll put them out then send me another 10 and you, you kind of just keep clogging you know the, the, the airwaves I've not taken that approach I'm still kind of careful if you look at the hemisheet releases you know I'll, I'll re-release a record and you know three or four or five times of something that you know is kind of special to me before I just take random tracks from someone so I am looking for tracks and I'm definitely open and I'd love to I'm always open to new sounds and different things um, and I have you know my wife you know her name is Jill Terrell and she also sing she used to go by the name Krista so she's done a couple tracks for the label you know she's a vocalist so I kind of like, I want to put stuff out on my label, but I'm always looking to get her into a better position because Henry Street was never really set up to like handle a vocalist. It was really very producer track DJ driven. So with an artist, it's a totally different thing. So it's kind of like she needs the, you know, better attention. So basically I kind of use Henry Street as like, you know, the initial way to get out there and hopefully from there have it flipped and just have her kind of get settled to like a bigger situation oh, so whereabouts can people find more information on the brand new albums that are coming out and also more information on yourself and the back catalogue as well um, my, I have a website it's not pretty at all but it's pretty informative I'm in the process of having it hooked up that's henrystreetmusic.com I have a Facebook page which is you know which also has some cool information and stuff like that my SoundCloud page I think is really great because I have most of my you know, I've been on the, I was on the radio for a long time in New York so a lot of my radio shows they have like over 50 up and that's just Henry Street Music you know in SoundCloud and all that stuff is downloadable so I think that's a great place for people to go just to kind of hear how I play and just like you know what I've done over the years um, and like I said the, the website's in the process of being worked I do a lot of work with BBE so I'm sure BBE's website will always have some kind of information you know about what's going on with Henry Street the Essential House. We say a massive, massive thanks there to Johnny D for taking time out of his, of course, very hectic schedule. In 80,000 plus records, I would not fancy sorting them out. We're going to be going into the mix with Johnny right now, and he's going to be going with through till the end of this week's Essential House radio show. He's going to be in the mix until the end of this week's Essential House radio show as well. He's going to be mixing on three decks, which you very rarely see nowadays. Sit back and enjoy a true house legend in the mix. The Essential House Guest Mix. 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 Guest Mix.